0: We desire that the the presence and the anointing of the Lord be upon this part of the service as we uh, look into his word. I was especially um, sort of impressed with the last uh, phrase in the first song we sang that said, all is well. wonder if all is well with each one of you. In spite of the, um, the difficulties, the trials, the temptations, um, all is well, right? <laughs> all is well when, when the Lord is in control, um, even when it looks out of control. I'm grateful. The, uh, the text that I'm going to be look at in Galatians is from Galatians chapter 5. I know I seem to be stuck in Galatians chapter 5. But uh, Galatians chapter 5, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from, first of all, verse 9, which we haven't looked at yet, and then verses 16 through 21. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. Then beginning at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uh, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Um, My my main focus uh, this morning is going to be the lusts of the flesh, Uh, the, the, the works of the flesh as uh, it is described in verses 19 through 21. Even though I'm going to take my, the title for my message from verse 9 of chapter 5, that little uh, phrase that says what a little leaven can do, Uh, And that's really the title of my message, what a little leaven can do. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Let me begin by uh, talking about poisonous mushrooms, dead flies, and, and leaven. First of all, uh, I'm going to refer to uh, a short passage in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 38 through uh, 41. And Elijah came again to Gilgal, and there was dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot. And seeth the pottage for the sons of the prophets. <coughs> and one of them, and one went out into the field to gather herbs, found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds. His lapful and eating, lapful and came and shed them into the pot of pottage, for they knew not, knew them not. See, they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he said, then, then bring meal, and he cast it into the pot. He said, pour out for the people that they may eat, and there was no harm in the pot. Um, death in the pot. Um, this is the account of what happened when Elisha came to visit the uh, school of the prophets at Gilgal. The sons of the prophets wanted to uh, celebrate e- Elisha's visit by making a pot of pottage. It's probably stew or soup of some kind. There was dearth in the land, that means there was a drought. And uh, so the food was not, there was not a lot of food available. But they collected some wild gourds. Uh, didn't know what it was, but it looked good. I, I'm going to call them mushrooms. Um, but they probably weren't mushrooms, but you get the idea. They put what they found in the pot cooked it and started eating it. And then something terrible started to happen. Thank you. Something terrible, uh, terrible started to happen. What I picture is that, that uh, they, when they started to eat some of this pottage that suddenly they turned as white as a sheet. It started to heave, perhaps fall to the ground, Regurgitate, and maybe even passed out. I don't know, but it, but it was pretty serious. And the cry went out: that "There must be death in the pot! Stop eating! There's death in the pot!" <coughs> and Elijah said, "Ah, oh, come on, uh, uh, a little, a little poison." doesn't hurt you? Just, you know. No, no, he didn't. He said, bring some flour, bring some meal, and, and throw it in the pot, and it'll be all right. And it was, it was miraculous, but it, it worked. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't take a lot of poison to poison the whole pot. That's what I, that's, that's what I want to emphasize. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and, uh, and verse 9, uh, verse 1 says Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Um, dead flies. I'm calling this dead flies in the per- perfume because I understand the, uh, the ointment that he's talking about was actually perfume. perfume. And so uh, dead flies in the perf- perfume here. Here's what I picture happened at the area one day, and I'm gonna use my imagination a little bit. The perfume maker took some sap of Maybe sandalwood, ponderosa pine, etc., and heated it until it became fine-smelling cologne for men. And uh, But as he, he set the container, uh, liquid container somewhere to cool. Um, some flies fell into the pot. I'm going to call these flies stink bugs because we know what that's like. We don't know what kind of flies it was, but uh, stink bugs fell into the pot. And the uh, the fume maker doesn't realize what happened, even though he thought something didn't smell right. After he came back to the pot, when it cooled off, so he go ahead and went ahead and poured the perfume in a bottle and put it on the shelf to sell. A guy named Wayne came along and buys it. A couple days later, Wayne has a date with a fine young lady whose name was Edna. This happened about 58 years ago. He comes home on that day from laying a 1,000 brick and 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 is all sweaty and smelling with B.O. Wayne takes a shower, then grabs the bottle of cologne with a nice brown color. Stingbrooks are brown, right? You know them. Dumps it all over himself, and suddenly realizes he smells like a stink bug. <laughs> he shrugs his shoulders and says, "Oh well, a little, a little stink bug never hurt anybody." No. no. <laughs> He jumps back into the shower and <laughs> etc. Well, the lesson from Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse one is that a few dead flies, a few stink bugs in the perfume contaminates the whole bottle of perfume. Now, in, here in Galatians chapter, 5 and verse 9, it says, this this little saying might be called a word of wisdom. It must have been a a well-known proverb in Paul's day, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This powerful little uh, uh, proverb is used twice in the New Testament, both by Paul, as a word of warning. The first time it's used is in 1 Corinthians 5.6. In this passage, Paul gives it to warn against the pervasiveness of sin. How that a little leaven makes a difference. It leavens the whole lot. Someone had committed adultery in, in the church at Corinth and, and no doubt started, it's, maybe it started with the, the church leaders and they were, they were passive and unconcerned, indifferent about it. Paul is giving that proverb there and says, by saying a little leaven, a little sin, a little disobedience. Uh, a little fudging of divine protocol will suddenly affect the whole church, the whole body. You mean to tell me that that adultery is a little sin, It's just a little leaven? No. But I, I hear Paul saying, "Even a little leaven) <laughs> <coughs> Contaminates the whole body. Well, that's the first time that uh, uh, that this is used by Paul. Uh, as I as I uh, think about that, uh, let me ask you a question: Is is there such a thing as a little sin? Huh? Uh, h- how does uh, One compare sins, little, much, many, few, little. Maybe our question should be, does a little sin only matter a little? According to this saying, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The second time that Paul uses the word is here in Galatians, and it's relevant to us uh, in, in this context. Here in this context, Paul was, uses it to warn against the per- pervasiveness, perhaps not so much of sin as of false teaching and false doctrine. That has come into the the churches of Galatia through the Judaizers, and and Paul is using this um, um, this this little is saying to to uh, help them understand that a little leaven, leaveneth. The whole lump. Uh, Lensky makes this observation about this. This proverb should, should be the death of entertaining doctrinal indifference. Many still imagine that a little deviation from the truth of the gospel will do no harm and even provide themselves on, and even pride themselves in harboring at least a little leaven, a little false doctrine. Well, uh, enough said about that. You you get my point. A little leaven, even a little leaven, doesn't take many stink bugs, doesn't take much poison. A little leaven how many, how many of you be, would be okay with having a little cancer in your body? Huh? Talk about cancer. Just a little cancer? No problem. <laughs> a little leaven leaveneth the whole lot. Well, I, I've, uh, I've focused in on that, and... Um, because I, sort of in an extended way, focused in on that, I, I'm going to have to skip half of my notes. Um, the, uh, my, my focus this morning, as I said, has to do with the uh, the, the works of the flesh. And I, I, I really want to, uh, what I want to do is, I, I plan to briefly explain and define each of these sins that are mentioned in verses uh, 18 and 19, when he when he uh, identifies uh, at least 18 sins, which he identifies as the uh, uh, the works of the flesh. I, I don't think that these are uh, this is all of them. This isn't uh, all-inclusive, but, but it gives us a list to work with, and it's a daunting list. I, I, I have to admit to you this morning that, as I've been working on this last list, the list I, I have, I've dealt with, uh, I was convicted <laughs> in my own life. Um, Verses 19 and 21 explains what happens when we walk after the flesh. We will manifest, we will show forth the works of the flesh. So here we have a list that are the result of walking after the flesh. Before I look at each of these sins very briefly, I want to make two observations. First of all, from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. From Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, I understand that perhaps each one of us in here this morning have a besetting sin. You know what I mean by besetting sin? Maybe a particular sin you struggle with, uh, a particular sin that has sort of docked your footsteps. And... uh, had a perhaps a difficult time dealing with it. I can identify with that. But in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 12, and verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Now, some inter- commentators say it doesn't mean one sin, it means uh, sin in general, but uh, according to the original text, I believe King James has it right when he says, the sin, the sin, that sin which so easily besets you, besetting sin. I say that only to to encourage you, as we look at this uh, list of sins, that perhaps you listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit to see if you can know identify what your particular besetting sin might be. Um, the, um, the other thing I want to say before I look at this list of sins is that that in this manifest list of the works of the flesh, I find four categories of sins given four categories so this is a in a sense is a categorical list and, and so he lists four he lists four categories of sins as you look over uh, carefully over uh, this list of 18 sins and and so the the first category category number 1 lists four sins of a, of, mor- of a moral nature in verse 19. These four sins have to do with the misuse of our sexuality. They have to do with four different levels of sexuality or sexual immorality, uh, perhaps. Before I look at the four words that describe sexual promiscuity, I want to notice three things about our sexuality and sexual sins. First of all, human sexuality, was designed by God, is not evil in itself. I want you to recognize that. That's important. I I believe it's important that you teach your children that when the time is right. Secondly, Though though our sexuality is designed and and blessed of God, sin affects us deeply, has affected us deeply, has, has affected the human personality throughout the years since the Garden of Eden. Sin has affected us deeply in the area of our sexuality. That's so true in the world today. Thirdly, sexual sins adversely affects the human personality in profound ways that other sins don't. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 8, flee fornication, every sin a man does is without the body, but he that committeth porneia, which is the word for fornication, sinneth against his own body. I repeat, Sexual sins affect the human personality in unique and profound ways. That's why Paul said flee <laughs> fornication, Forneal. Now, a brief look at the four words Paul uses to define sexual promiscuity. The first one is adultery. This has to do with breaking the marriage covenant by mortal uh, unfaithfulness to each other as husband and wife. Um, And uh, Jesus also said that by looking on a woman to lust after her, a man can commit adultery in his heart. Jesus also said, he that puts away his wife commits adultery. And he who marries her, that is, put away, also commits adultery. So we understand what adultery is, right? It um, has sexual sins that violate the, the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship, and, and breaks it up and, and uh, does, does uh, yeah, Ad- adultery. The second word is fornication. Sexual promiscuity, it means sexual promiscuity in a, in, a, in a more general way, usually of a heterosexual nature outside of marriage, the marriage relationship, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a more general term for sexual immorality than adultery. <coughs> adultery is a word more specific, fornication is a word that is used to describe uh, sexual immorality in, in a more uh, um, general way. Then the word uncleanness," uh, this is another more general term for all manner of uh, sexual impurity. It doesn't mention all the ways that this can be expressed, but it, it is a general word that covers uh, the whole a uh, whole array of sexual uh, imm- immorality. And then uh, the word lasciviousness, which is a word we don't use very often, but it's found uh, numerous times in the Bible. I'll let Vines define this form for us. It denotes licentiousness, uh, absence of restraint when it comes to uh, sexual sins. Uh, Wantonness is another word that the New Testament uses for this. Um, it, it refers to strong driving sexual desires that are perverse and against nature, according to Romans chapter 1. And uh, meaning it's describing uh, such things as that are against nature, such as homosexuality, lesbianism, and, and such like. Perverse uh, sexual promiscuity. It's an accepted norm in our society today. It's scary. Also, uh, la- lasciviousness is just, it, it, it's rampant sexual promiscuity, out of bounds, out of control. And as someone has said, homosexuality is a sign of ultimate moral corruption. Now, category two. Two sins of a spiritual nature, and and the two sins that he mentions is idolatry and uh, what did I say? Two sins of a spiritual nature. Is that what I said? Yes, good. That's what I meant to say. Uh, I am. Oh, forget it. Uh, I'm 82 years old. I, I I can be excused on a few uh, mistakes, once in a while. These are sins of a, s- a spiritual nature: uh, idolatry and uh, and witchcraft. Uh, they are. I I, w- I consider them sing- them to be twin, twin sins. Uh, of a spiritual nature. Idolatry has to do with uh, bowing down to images of wood or stone in lieu of and instead of God, which really has to do with misdirected worship. I remember standing on the outside of a high hill in Chichicastanango in Guatemala, watching a a Indian man kneeling before a little stone idol and and worshiping. That was idolatry. That was gross idolatry. (laughs) Misdirected worship. And, uh, And let me also say this, that in the pagan culture of Rome, there was a close connection between sexual immorality and idolatry because idol temples also were houses of prostitution. Um, witchcraft uh, has to do with sorcery, the use of drugs, um, magic potions, uh, powers. And, and these are real, <laughs> they're, they're not, Yes, these are real. I, I understood that within the first year that I went to, we went to Sioux lookout and began ministering to Native Indian people. These are real they're powerful. The blood of Jesus defeats it. <laughs> um, it's interesting that the Greek word for witchcraft is. Parmachia, parmachia, from which comes our English word pharmacy. Witchcraft has to do with the use of occultic charms and demonic powers. And it's, it's interesting that in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, when Paul sees all the idols on Mars Hill, that he said to the philosophers, I perceive that in all things you are superstitious, too superstitious. And the meaning of the Greek word for superstitious is giving reverence to demons. So Paul was really saying, I see that you're giving reverence to demons. (laughs) That's witchcraft in many different forms. So again, I say the connection between idolatry and witchcraft is not superfluous. 1 um, Corinthians 10.20 says that by sacrificing to idols, one sacrifices to devils. Yeah. Category three. Now here's the biggie. Sins of a social nature which violate brotherly love. And there, he mentions eight sins. I'm going to run through these real quickly because I am going to finish my sermon whether you walk out at 12 o'clock or not. I think my wife will say, at least. First sin is variance. and we, These are terms that we read over them and just sort of skip over and we, we don't know what we're reading. You should read these with a, with a Bible dictionary in hand or something. Variance, being quarrelsome and contentious, stirring up strife. Emulations, inner hot feelings of envy and jealousy toward your brother or sister. Wrath, to flare up in hot anger. Fourth, strife has to do with selfishness according to uh, the way it's used. Selfishness and self-seeking, it's a contentious promoting of oneself in subtle and not so subtle ways. Seditions, promoting divisions. And then he talks about heresies, so uh, Uh, seditions and heresies, again, are twin sins. They are are together. Uh, They sort of has a lot of similarity, but it it means promoting uh, divisions, having a party spirit, forming cliques in the body of Christ, uh, showing favoritism, having your favorite little special group that you associate with and and sort of stay with that. Um, And then, uh, the seventh one is envying. So I believe you understand that. Having ill will toward others, especially those that oppose you. Having spiteful feelings toward others, especially when those who despise uh, you, you sort of despise are successful. And then finally, murderers. And that should not have to need an explanation, but it is the ultimate social sin, in a sense. Um, and each of these other social sins, when intensified, can end in murder uh, in, in a sinful society. Well, those are the, uh, the list. Uh, how, how do you like that list? <laughs> well, uh, there's two more. Uh, another category, the last category, two sins of what I call indulgence and excess, uh, verse 22. Drunkenness, verse 21. Uh, all of... Uh, All of us know that drunkenness, what what it is, it it has to do with the use uh, of wine, excessive wine, and intoxicating beverages. Uh, And revelings. Again, these two uh, sort of go together, verse 21. Uh, The word revelings is also used alongside of such sins as excessive wine, banqueting, abominable idolatries, uh, Revellings can refer to wild parties where the where where the uh, uh, the the food and the drink where you eat and drink to excess maybe we don't do that, but they did it in the uh it was uh, it was very uh, prevalent in the pagan society of Rome during this time because uh, uh it was excessive drinking and overeating, and people would drink and eat till they could eat no more. Then go vomit, regurgitate what they ate, and do this and do this several times, and go do it again because they enjoyed the pleasure of food and drink. Someone want to throw up now? I mean, that that. That was real in in Roman society. And and so, you know, um, um, this was all integrated, uh, in a sense, this was also integrated with idol worship in the pagan Roman world. And uh, uh, I find it interesting that uh, Martin Luther translates uh, this these last two uh, sins saufen und fressen okay saufen und fressen <laughs> it sort of gives the connotation if you understand german uh, of this of these sins <clears throat> Thank you for being patient. I have two conclusions. Conclusions number one. Conclusion number one. I would have to take have us take note of the overall picture, as it relates relates to the four categories of sins uh, described as the lust of the flesh or the works of the flesh. First of all, as it relates to the sins of moral nature. There are four different sins mentioned. As it relates to the sins of false worship, two sins are mentioned. Now these, this false worship is first mentioned, one of the first sins mentioned in the Ten Commandments. But uh, be that as it may, here it's, uh, it's, it's mentioned secondly. Third, when it comes to the sins of a social nature, Sins that violate our love of our brother, nine, nine are mentioned. And two sins are mentioned that have to do with sins of excess. What does this say to us? Does it say anything to us at all? It doesn't necessarily tell us (coughs) which sins are worse than others. But it does maybe tell us which sins believers tend to struggle with the most. You know what those are? <laughs> sins of a social nature. Think about that. Conclusion number two. I, I just want to note Paul's solemn warning. <laughs> that they which do such things those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I I come back to what Paul said in verse 9 when he says, a little leaven, a little sin. Leaveneth. I find it interesting, however, in that last phrase where Paul said, they do which practice or do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I find it interesting and disturbing that most evangelical commentators fall all over themselves <laughs> at this point. To declare that this doesn't mean that if one has been justified by faith that he will lose his salvation if he does such things. Because at the moment of his justification, all of his sins, past, present, and future, have been already forgiven. That's the reasoning. That's, That's what comes through. I consider that. Bad theology. I consider that not only bad theology, I, I consider that heresy. God bless you who asks you to consider such things. I, I know it's ten after twelve. Uh, but does anybody have anything you want to say? Just the last moment here before we dismiss. Going, going, once, twice, gone. Let's stand. Lord, we... Lord of the church, Lord our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who delivers us from... The practice of sin. The one that can keep us from practicing the works of the flesh. Look upon us with grace this morning and and help us to walk carefully as we leave this place. Um, Bless each one. And Lord, we want to thank you for the forgiveness of sins, for cleansing us from all unrighteousness through the blood of Jesus.